Welcome to Outrage and Optimism. I am Cristiana Figueres. Paul and Tom are off this week, so I am on my own with you. This week, we are presenting an episode I recorded for the Way Out is In podcast. Thanks for being here. So this week, during which many people around the world turn inward and others also enjoy a time for reflection, we have decided to take a very different turn with our podcast. We are motivated by the realization that in many ways, we are steering toward breakdown as we read in the news every day. But that at the same time, we know we can change that course and we can chart a path toward breakthrough based on restoration of the damage that we have done and of regeneration of ourselves and of nature. Actually, believe it or not, alongside the horrors of the day and maybe because of them, I see the emergence of a new paradigm of being and acting. The current crises that we're seeing, all of them, are uprooting the beliefs of the past and perhaps opening the possibility for a new human contract. I see the opportunity of a shift in how we relate to ourselves, to each other, and to nature. Now, that road is admittedly untraveled and will not be easy. But the fact is, we don't have any other option. We have to make the choice to restore and regenerate individually and collectively, daily and constantly, with conviction and determination. I remember Gus Speth, a good friend, well-known American environmental lawyer, co-founder of the Natural Resources Defense Council, founder of World Resources Institute, dean of the Yale School of Forestry and Sustainability, an environmentalist through and through. And I remember how he famously stated a few years ago, I used to think the top global environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought that with 30 years of good science, we could address these problems, but I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with these, we need a spiritual and cultural transformation. A quote from Gus Speth. So friends, in that spirit, we have a different conversation for you today. The Way Out is In is the podcast produced by Plum Village, the Buddhist monastery founded by the late Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh, who was a vital support to me in the lead up to Paris Agreement and beyond. Upon his recent passing, I quickly joined my brothers and sisters and friends in Plum Village and spent four weeks there with them. During that time, I was invited onto their podcast as a guest. So we have decided to drop the Plum Village episode into our own podcast for this week. Now, friends, here's a little warning. 
This conversation is longer than our usual episodes, but it is also deeper. So get ready to be taken by the hand by Taif Hapu, the abbot of Plum Village, and our very good friend, Joe Confino. Enjoy. Welcome, dear friends, to this latest episode of the podcast series, The Way Out is In. I'm Joe Confino, working at the intersection of personal development and systems transformation. And I am Brother Fab Hu, a Zen Buddhist monk, a student of Zen Master Thich Nhat Hanh in the Plum Village tradition in France. And we are very honored today, Fab Hu, aren't we? Yes, we are. Because we have a special guest. A very close friend, a, a very dear Sangha member who is present with us in Plum Village today. So let's reveal who it is. It is Christiana Figueres. Now, Christiana Figueres is, as many of you will know, the architect of the Paris Climate Agreement. One of the many thousand architects. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Important <laughs> improvement. One there. of the many thousand Doesn't. architects of the Paris Climate Accord. But it wouldn't have happened, I don't think, without you, Christiana. And what is less well known is that she is a student of Thich Nhat Hanh and also a very valued member of the Plum Village Sangha. So, welcome, Christiana. Thank you. The way out is in. Welcome, everyone. I am Joe Confino. And I am Brother Fapu. Christiana, welcome. I'm Christiana Figueres, speaking to you today from Plum Village. Yes, so Christiana, what brings you to rural France? Well, what kind of an answer do you want to that, Joe? What brought me here this time? Or what brought me here originally? Oh, well, let's... You can choose. Let's but... do both. Let's start off with now. Now. Why are you here now? Well... On the 22nd of January, I got several messages from my dear brothers and sisters with the news of Ty's passing. And I was in a car in San Jose, Costa Rica. And I did something you should never do, which is look at a text message when you're driving. Do not recommend that. <laughs> but I did that and I thought, okay drop everything that is in front of me right now and go home. So I went home and the sun was setting and I lit all the candles that I have and I put on some Plum Village chanting and I thought I would sit, but I couldn't. I just lay down on the floor in a huddle position. I pulled a very warm blanket on top of me and I just started to cry and cry and cry and cry. And Naima, my daughter, who's also been here in Plum Village, she called me and she said, Mom, where are you? Uh, and I just even couldn't answer. So I guess she figured out that I was home. She came over. And then we were both on the floor cuddling with each other for about 20 minutes and just crying, the two of us. And all of a sudden, as though I had been... A, 
from an ejector seat. You know, I, it was like a James Bond ejector seat. Boom. I jumped up and I said, Naima, I know what to do. And she goes, what? I want to go to Plum Village. And she goes, mom, you're crazy. They're closed because of COVID. There's just no way. You're just totally out of your mind. Lie down again. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm going to ask them. So I put out a little message, very discreet. These ceremonies that you're preparing, are they for the monastics only? I thought that was a very discreet question. Answer back, no, they're for everyone. We're streamlining for everyone. I thought, mm. and they're streamlining for everyone. But that doesn't mean that you're welcome in person. I thought, okay, I shall accept this. And then about two minutes later came the answer, but if you would like to come. You're welcome. And I just jumped again and hit the ceiling. And Naima and I are jumping up and down for joy. Go, yay, yay. And then I wrote to you, Joe, and told you, wow, wow. And I said, they won't let you in, Christiana. Yeah, Joe said, they won't let you in. (laughs) So I was just so thrilled. And then I just got everything ready very quickly. It was evening, so I couldn't get a PCR test that day. I got PCR test the next day. But... um. I got here as quickly as I could with deep gratitude for uh, for your opening um, the community to me. Thank you very mm. much, Papu. I really appreciated it. You're very welcome. And Christiana, when when you heard the news and you said you just curled up and you were mm. crying, what what was it that you were feeling at that moment? You know, I've been wondering about that, and the answer came to me when. I was watching the very beautiful moving ceremonies in Vietnam. And when I saw the people lining up and uh, to pay their respects and the people on the streets um, and the love with which Thai was thanked and greeted, um, it suddenly occurred to me that I was reliving the passing of my blood father, Mm. who was also a very, very beloved figure. In this case, in Latin American politics, he was three times president and the father of democracy in Costa Rica and just incredibly loved. And we had to hold him in his casket for days and days and days because there were were such long lines of people who wanted to come and pay respects. And then we had a very long procession from the National Museum where he was, where the casket was, to um, where we finally laid him to rest. And the images that I saw from Vietnam had the love and the respect, but multiplied times 100. You know, because Thai was... I, I have my father, my blood father, who I still love and respect so much and admire. But then Tai was my spiritual father. And he was a spiritual father to so many millions of people. And the fact that Tai was a spiritual leader, but also such an embodied human. Hmm. The fact that he was both those, you know, that spirit, that hovered over us and held us, but also someone that was so aware of just our 
human needs and um, he, that that combination that we usually think is mutually exclusive, but that combination made him not just respected and revered, but truly loved by millions of people. And so for me, it was like, oh, wow, first I lost my physical father, my blood father, and now I'm losing my spiritual father. And it, it was an enormous amount of grief because it's almost like you scratch a wound and it bleeds again. Mm. Um, and this time it was bleeding, I think, you know, in, in a more profuse way, perhaps. Um, but then the question that comes up and that came up for me much more powerfully now is, so what now? What does that actually mean for me? What does it mean for all other students of Thai? What does it mean for Brother Fapu? What does it mean for the Sangha? Because, and I, I think the first time that I, I talked to you, Fapu, I said, you know, I feel like this is a step-up moment. It's a step-up moment for everyone individually, and it's a step-up moment for us collectively, because up until this point, we've been a little bit of free riders, right? A little bit riding on his coattails. And you so beautifully talked about that mm. um, in the podcast that I just listened to yesterday, how you were describing that up until that point, you felt that you were holding the torch from the bottom. And then, you know, you had the insight that now it's for you to hold the torch. And, and obviously your position in holding the torch is completely unequaled. But I also think everyone else has to hold a torch. Mm -hmm. Everyone has to hold a torch. You know, and Ty was so clear about that, that this was going to be for the Sangha. Um, and actually not just for the Sangha, this is for humanity, right? He was very clear that we are on a process mm -hmm. of becoming our better selves constantly. And he, he held the torch for us so clearly, but it's the step-up moment, right? We all have to now step up and um, and pick up our torches and and do collective leadership here. It's, it's really interesting, Christiana, because, um, you know, that was a very similar feeling that I had, which mm. is that what does this mean for me and, and what does it mean now for me to be a serious practitioner? Yeah. And where are the gaps in my practice and where am I not fulfilling actually my wish to be sort of um to represent Thai in that way so so it's it's fascinating you say that and and I, I want to get well you and I have been talking about this effect even before yes Thai passed right we were we were talking about it in Costa Rica yeah when you were in Costa Rica we were you know talking about so you know what what is the next chapter for us and how do we how, how do we step up? But I think Ty's passing is like, okay, enough contemplation about this. Now, let's do it. Yeah. So we're, <laughs> we're going to get to that in a little while. But Fapu, I wanted to ask from conversely, right. what was it like for Christiana to come all the way from Costa Rica to be with the community at this moment? And, and it'd be lovely if you put that in the context of the fourfold Sangha, because mm -hmm. some of our listeners will know that actually Thai created this whole idea of monks and nuns, but also lay practitioners, et cetera. But, but I think it'd be good to 
to explain that and, and why in those terms, Christiana, showing up was important? Yes, um, in that very moment when we were all managing our emotions and our feelings and uh, at the same time, because Tai is a person of action, so in this moment as a continuation body of Tai, we had to go into action in creating in spaces which became ceremonies for a collective grief, mm-hmm. a collective embrace, collective contemplation on mm-hmm. no birth and no death. Mm-hmm. And we were in this zone that is very hard to come back to because it's causes and condition, this particular energy, which is like, we have to work for Thai. Mm-hmm. And like what Christiana was saying before, like a lot of the times when I was going on retreat with Thai, like you just ride Thai's light Mm-hmm. And we are just a support. But now, you, his students, his continuation, we need to do it. And we need to, we need to bring the community together because Tai was that magnet. And if, if we don't do it, then we're not continuing Tai. And that is the insight of interbeing. And so we, we were channeling as a collective community, strong collectiveness. Like I remember gathering everyone. We said, in the next eight days... We are gonna practice real selflessness. Everybody has to give a hand. We, I know we're all grieving, but we have to be together in this very moment. And at the same time, we were reaching out to all of our international communities to let everyone know of the situation of the passing so we can be united. And of course, of COVID time, there are, we do have some restriction in coming to the monastery. like. If you're just coming for the day, then we have a meditation hall that is set up where you can pay your respects. But if there are those who can come to help us, uh, there's going to be particular protocols that Mm -hmm. you have to follow in order for us to be able to embrace you in this moment because we don't want to be handling COVID and and the ceremonies. And then we did explain to Christiana and she was like, whatever needs to be done, I will will do it in order to be a support. And I think for a lot of us, the first action, um, you know, brother named Tung, who was sitting here with us, he's recording this. Like he joined me on the walk down to the editorial office, which became our headquarters for the first night. The first thing we did when we all came in is we just hugged each other. Mm. Mm. So we we knew that coming together is the strongest energy. And one of the, I would say the community is one of Thai's masterpieece. Mm-hmm. So, and the masterpiece is not just the monastic. It is laymen, laywomen, and lay members who also don't identify as um, a particular gender, but it's humans. We are a community together. And so at this moment, I, I was one of the ones who had, they had to ask permission if of I, I can give. Of course, they had to ask you for permission. To give the green light to Christiana. And, and I, was, I didn't dare write to you yeah. directly. <laughs> but I, I was one of the conditions that, because I, 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 was, I did do a video of the atmosphere. And it was like, like in the video, you can see everybody on their laptops, on their phones. And I was sending this to a lot of members of like the team is assembling. And because of that video, many monastics who were on home visits or on trips outside, they're like, what am I doing outside? I need to be with the Sangha. Yeah. And I think that's that also- That was the uh, video. I saw, I'd honestly, thank you for reminding yeah. me. That was the video I said to Naima, I, 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 I would like to be there, whether they will let me there or not, but I would so want to be there. 
And and so when Christiana, you know, wrote back to us, um, very willing, and her stay was going to be long, which gave enough time for spacing and then um, tests and everything f- to come into our mm. bubble. I said she has all the conditions, and somehow. A lot of us who are in that team have a very long relationship with Christiana, and we know of her her relationship to Thai and to the community, and we just needed warmth, really. And I remember when I when I saw Christiana in Upper Hamlet, I, I didn't I couldn't go pick her up because it was holding the community here. But when I saw her, I I came into the sangha as a child. And one of my blessing was like I have a lot of teachers, a lot of mentors, and to some, they feel like my mom, my dad, my uncle, my aunts. And when I saw Christiana, I felt like I was in an embrace of a mother, mm. like really. And we and I, we we couldn't be so close, but we had tea together. But I just felt so warm, and we had tea in Thai's hut, and we just took moments to breathe together. Mm. And I think. Thai is always teaching us and giving us this opportunity to still come together and see the beauty of connection. Yes. So, I remember that particular tea, and then Christiana um, reaching out to us in person, saying, "What can I do now? How can I help? Because I want to be part of the team." And we were on this chaotic, very well planned, very well planned, but very <laughs> chaotic. Like we need so much information that we are receiving, and how do we answer all these emails? And Christiana puts up her hands, like, "I just want to let you guys know, I'm a very good organizer." <laughs> <laughs> and so right away, we're like, "Okay, Christiana, we're gonna give you a desk in our headquarter office, in the bamboo office in Upper Hamlet. That's gonna be your station, and we'll get to it. Get to it, and." <laughs> It was so beautiful because whenever Tai talks about the sangha, he talks about cells in one body, mm. and there, even if you are the eyes, the mouth, the ears, but you're still one body. And if everybody knows how to navigate and cooperate, mm. then the body will be healthy and strong and perform any miracles. And at that moment, because I've seen, I've been with Christiana at TED at TED conference. At I've seen her on on stage, like. I've seen her on the stage as 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 someone who is always sharing and presenting and leading, and it was so beautiful and so humbling for me to see Christiana, like bees in the same beehive in this moment. And it didn't matter what she needed to do. There was a moment when Christiana had nothing to do, and she's like, "What can I do?" and You know this live show that is now on YouTube is very beautiful images of Tai's life through from his. Um, year he became a young monk, sixteen to all the way to he was a world Zen master, and Christiana's like I can help put the words in for each picture, and at that moment, like we we were all doing this. It doesn't matter. We don't need our names on it. We don't need to be recognized. We are one body at this moment, and we had so many um, as a team, so many moments when we shared. Like Tai is very proud of us. And I was able to share that, and at one of the dinners, I think on day seven of the funeral, um, we were just sitting together, and I just I told the whole team, I said, I just want to say, like, I know Tai is smiling, and he is. I can even say he is hugging us, dancing with us, because he's so happy to see that all of us, monastic and lay, are working hand in hand. And we had Martin Kata on the PV app, on the PV web page, all of these other. 
TNH Foundation from across the globe. You know, Joe, you were coming in through phone calls and just we were all in this together and it was it was interbeing in action. Mm. Thank you. Interbeing in action. Beautifully put. Yes. So, Christiana, let, let's, um, because we're going to get into all the issue of where we go now. But mm. before that, I think it'd be really useful for our listeners just to get a, a little bit of historical context here. And um, just, to, just to ask you, how did you get in touch with Thich Nhat Hanh's teaching? So, so tell us a little bit about that. So um, it was the year 2013. And um, all of a sudden through what seemed to me out of the clear blue sky, my former, now former husband, informed me that um, he had never been loyal to me over the past 25 years. And that came as a deep shock to me, a deep, deep shock, because I was under the illusion of a perfect marriage, a perfect family, da-da-da-da-da, perfect in quotation marks. And it hit me so hard that I became suicidal because it went against everything that I had put my energy into over those 25 years. I came from a broken family. My parents were divorced. And I, when I married, I intended, I put all my intention, all my effort, all my love into making a very stable, loving, supportive integrated home for my daughters. And so that was just such a shock that I became suicidal. And it was to the point, I was working at the United Nations, I was helping uh, my team, the 500 people at the Climate Secretariat, plus 195 nations, build toward the Paris Agreement. And we were right in the middle of the process. And when I became suicidal and I realized that I had to stop traveling by train because my, my impulse was to throw myself in front of a train. Uh, and so I had to stop traveling by train or take two people from the office with me all the time. Um, and I thought, okay, I really have to do something about this because... It was, you know, it was really getting in the way of my work to begin with, but also I was just crying myself to sleep every single night for months and months and months, and then getting up in the morning and putting a smile on and going to work. And when it, it became unbearable, um, I thought, I really have to look for something here, because if I do proceed with suicide, I was thinking, first of all, it's very unfair to my two daughters because it is definitely not their fault. And secondly, I don't think this is very good for the climate change negotiations. Front page of the newspaper, leader of the climate change negotiations commits suicide. You know, they would think it's a comment on the process. And the process was actually going quite well. I thought, no, 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 this cannot be. You cannot inject that negative energy into a process that is actually going pretty well. So I remember on Christmas Eve, when this became absolutely intolerable, I uh, emailed a good friend of mine who lives in Costa Rica. And I said, look, I am 
really dealing very seriously with suicide and I need something. He says, well, what do you need? And I said, Buddhism. Now this isn't in Spanish that I'm mm -hmm. communicating with him. And he says, Buddhism, what do you know about Buddhism? I said, I have no idea. Nothing. I know nothing. He goes, so why do you want that? I don't know. But can you please help me out? Because this is really an emergency situation. <laughs> and he goes, so how, how do we spell Buddhism in English? Because he wanted to do a Google show. I said, I, I don't know. You know, I think it has a double D. Maybe it has a double H. I honestly don't know how to spell it. Can you please help me out? So in about 10 minutes, he sends me the link to Plum Village. Oh, he doesn't know anything about Buddhism either, right? He sends me the link to Plum Village. So I look it up and I read whatever was on the webpage at that time, which is now different. And I write to him immediately and I said, okay, that is exactly what I need. But there is no way that I can make it to France because I was in Germany. I, you know, I can't take a train. Uh, I don't have the energy or the head to drive all the way there. I can't do that. So find me something that is close by. Five minutes later, Waldbrüll, the... Thai monastery in Waldbrüll, Germany, uh, close to Gummersbach. And I looked on the map and it's 45 minutes from my house. And I said, I can do that. I can definitely drive 45 minutes. I'm going to drive 45 minutes. <laughs> so after much coming and going with the office there, because on Christmas Eve, they're not exactly responsive to emails, um, I went. And by the time I left, I can't remember if it was 10 days or a full two weeks, it, I, I landed right in the middle of the Christmas New Year retreat, right? They were completely full. They first said they don't have room. Anyway, finally, I found they found me a room. By the end of the retreat, I was able to go back to work and have those feelings be already much, much more transformed. Um, in particular, the teaching that I remember was incredibly helpful to me there was no mud, no lotus. And I thought, okay, I am drowning in mud, so there better be lots of lotuses here. <laughs> Where are the lots of lotuses? Because <laughs> there's a lot of mud. <laughs> um, but then after that, you know, it was such, a, um, such an avenue of peace and calm and healing for me that I was, um, it was just like a magnet. And for, I don't know how long I would drive Sunday mornings early so that I could spend the whole day there and, um, and then come home Sunday night. And it was incredibly healing to me. Uh, and then later on, what I discovered is it was transformative. His teachings were transformative for the negotiation process. And that's where, you know, that that's where I, you know, I, I just, I'm in such awe of the power of his understanding, the power of his insight, because the, the connection, the interbeing between what we have inside of us, what we discover inside of us, and what we nourish, or in his words, what we water inside of us, and what is possible outside is so interlinked. And that is such a beautiful discovery because we tend to think that, you know, if we are on a path of spiritual development, that only has to do with me, but it doesn't have anything to do with the outside world. And it does. They are just absolutely, you know, it's like, it, 
it's all completely interwoven with each other. And so I do, I have publicly, in fact, I think an interview with you, Joe, was the first time mm. that I publicly credited um, Thai's teachings and my understanding uh, of Thai's teachings with the fact that 195 nations were able to come to an agreement. I know it's quite an incredible thing to stop and think about. Um, first of all, Christiana, thank you for sharing so deeply mm. because actually um, we were discussing in last podcast, um, you know, about, about after Ty's passing, thousands of people were getting in touch and many of them were saying, you saved I got my in life. touch, he saved my life. Yes, he saved mine. And, um, and he saved yours and he, without his teachings, the Paris Climate Agreement, mm -hmm may not have happened. Yes. Which is quite an extraordinary mm. thing to be able to say. Mm. Christiane, take us a little bit into the journey of the negotiations in terms of Thay's teaching. So, you know, he talks about deep listening, about compassion, about sort of staying calm. You know, there, there are many parts of his teaching, but what what would you say were the, the core of the help he brought to the negotiations in terms of that? Two things I would highlight, not because it's only two, just because um, for me they were perhaps the most, yeah, transformational. One was the skill of deep listening. And my experience was there were 195 countries that to every single one of the 70-something issues that were under negotiation, they had at least three opinions. So you multiply that, right? 195 times three opinions times 76. I mean, it was just an incredible chess game there. Uh, and they had very, very different and sometimes factually and objectively mutually exclusive positions. Um, and... In a negotiation, typically what happens is that every country comes with their position to the table. And the purpose of them coming around the table is to inform everybody else of their position. Nobody really comes to listen. <laughs> mm. And um, so I, I had to do in, in, my, in my role there, I did have to go and um, meet with government officials from almost every country in their capital city. And if I didn't meet them in their capital city, then certainly when they came to the negotiations. But I made it a really incredibly educational practice to ask them questions and listen to the answers instead of me preaching to them what I thought needed to be done or what somebody else thought it needed to be done. So asking them questions about what their long-term interest was, how they saw themselves growing as a nation, how they were going to protect their um, their people. Um, many, many questions that led them to move from their short-term thinking to much more longer-term thinking and more inclusive thinking. And the more they move into the future and into broader thinking, the more there is an overlap and a coincidence of interest. If you stand in your very tiny little short-term nationalistic interest, then you can imagine that there's not much overlap in that Venn diagram. 
But if you expand that and and they really begin to understand what is their responsibility in the future, um, now the diag- Venn diagram is very different and there begins to be the emergence of common ground. So that was, but that you can only do if you're truly listening to what they're saying and then reflecting back to them so that they begin to see that there is a coincidence there in that Venn diagram. So the art of, of deep listening, um, in, in, in addition to the personal work, uh, where I also practice it, but for my, for my professional work, was incredibly helpful. And the other thing that I wanted to highlight is one of the main difficulties, if not the main difficulty, in any climate negotiation then, and sadly also now, but at that point, it was the divide between the global north and the global south. And the global south feeling very much as a victim to what the global north, industrialized countries, have done. And there's no doubt that objectively they are the cause of climate change. That's not ideology, that's not a belief, that's a fact. And so the global south countries, the developing countries, to a a big degree, are very justified in feeling as a victim. The problem with entering a conversation or negotiation as a victim is there's no way you're ever going to agree with anyone on anything. Because if you perceive perceive yourself as a victim, you are implicitly accusing somebody else of being a perpetrator. And that other person who's being accused of being a perpetrator is never going to sit and happily take on the mantle of perpetration. They're going to turn around and say, ah, but what you did is even worse than what I did. And there you go into the seesaw of accusations and blame. And so it was so interesting for me to see that if I saw myself in my personal life as a victim of what my husband had chosen to do with his life, that there was no way that I could go into my professional work and expect anything other than a victim-perpetrator dynamic because of interbeing, because the energy that I carry into that dynamic is there, and I'm only watering the seeds the wrong seeds of being a victim or being a perpetrator. Whereas if I can walk in with a different mindset and understand, first of all, that I am not a victim, that I have the tools to understand myself differently, um, and that so does everyone else. And then you walk in with a very different energy. And because of the most amazing concept that, well, so many amazing concepts, but the concept of dependent co-arising or codependent arising, depending on which book you read, but is that these seeds, these traits, these feelings, these paradigms, these dynamics actually evolve at the same time, and they're all interconnected, even if that's not evident. And that was such a lesson to me, 
such a lesson to me to understand, okay, my first responsibility is for me to get out of my victimhood. That's my first responsibility. And otherwise, I cannot expect anyone else to do that. And so that put quite a bit of pressure on me, right? It's like, oh, okay, you better get your little, <laughs> your, your ducks in a row. But I saw it happen. I saw it happen because in the process of me getting out of my own victimhood, then in my conversation with so many other government representatives, I began to see that lift. And I began to see the emergence of very, very different dynamic. That's your lotus. Those are the Thoughts? lotus. Of... Yes. <laughs> so, Christiana, thank you. So so there's so much in what you said. And, and Brother Fephu, maybe mm. you want to add something. Because what, what I hear is two things. One is... The Buddha talks about with our thoughts we create the world. Mm. So, you know, there's also that phrase, isn't there? 95% of people try to change the world around them and only 5% try to change themselves. So most of the time we're projecting our problems onto the world and then almost as a justification for the fact that we feel the way we do and that when we heal that part in ourselves, we are we are different people. Mm. We are, and you talked about different, we come with different energy. We come with different energy. And we come with a different view of the world mm -hmm. that, that by its nature is transformative. Changes, is transformative. Yes. Mm. Brother, is there anything you want to add around that sort of codependent arising, that the, the sense that actually, well, I don't know. Brother, what do you want to say? Because <laughs> there's, there's so much in that. It, the, there's a lot to unpack and the teaching of it is so deep, but to to make it so everyone who's listening, who may be new to it, is to see the interbeing nature of the right and the left co-arising. So we always have this sense of like, this is good and this is bad. This is light and this is dark. This is suffering and this is happiness. And this is birth and this is death. But in deep Buddhist teaching, we have to meditate to see that these two opposites that human nature, we get um, this perception that everything is separated. Victim and perpetrator. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we have to transcend that and yeah. we have to see the mud and the lotus. Yeah. And sometimes it's not obvious. And as a meditator, we have to learn to see our suffering mm. because that's one of the noble truth. But by seeing the suffering, then you start to see happiness. Mm. And sometimes because we don't look at our suffering and we just get this bubble of suffering and then we get uh, covered up and life becomes hell. And our teacher usually tells us hell is not somewhere far away. Hell is in the here and now, but also heaven is in the here and now. And that concept of hell and heaven. And Tai says in our practice... Each breath we make, each step we take, each mindful action that we offer, compassionate love, deep understanding, that contributes to a present moment of paradise, heaven, or in Buddhism, the pure land. Mm -hmm. And this is a very deep practice, but it's very simple. But it takes a lot of training because our mind, our consciousness is so... It's so used to, and at the same time, it's it's more convenient mm. to see ourselves as a victim or as superior and inferior or even equal. But Buddhism and the deep practice of the Eight Noble Path is to have right view. Mm. 
And right view, it actually helps us to break through discrimination, which this all these opposites are discrimination. But when you have this insight, when you live life, you see suffering, you don't become a victim of it because in the suffering, happiness is somewhere there. And one of Tai's um, teaching, he talks a lot about the garbage and the rose. You know, um, we come and we may look at our ourselves and we see a lot of garbage. And a lot of times we may be ashamed of it or we become um, a victim of it and we can't move forward. But Tai says that the garbage can be transformed into compost, which mm. can nourish our happiness, our mm. understanding. And this gives us an understanding, deeper understanding of happiness because happiness doesn't just mean mm-hmm. la-la land. Mm. Happiness means you understand your suffering. You understand, oh, by continuing to water these seeds, I'm going to always be a victim. If you see that, that's happiness. And that's where you grow. That's where the inner growth, inner strength Mm. is developed. Mm. And for me, you know, a lot of the spiritual practice um, and the meditation, a lot of times we practice and we don't see our growth right away because you expect to meditate and you become a Buddha tomorrow. But the training is to be patient and the training is to understand ourselves more and more each day. And this is also, there's a virtue to patient and there's a virtue to understanding. And there's this teaching that Tai has offered us and it's very comforting because Tai speaks to the audience, but he's speaking to his children, his spiritual children, which is all of us. He says, I would never want to send my children to a place where there is no suffering. Hmm. Because in that place, my children will never able to grow. And this is very important. Mm. And this helps us as students break free from this illusion that we can only be happy in a perfect place. And let's say Plum Village. A lot of us come and we feel a family. We fall in love with Plum Village. We have, we always say we have a honeymoon phase with Plum Village. Mm. And then the more you live, you start to see, oh, there's some who don't practice so well. That there, there are corners where the monks don't clean so properly. Why there's so much spider webs in the dining hall? And then you start to see the grass is not green here. You look for somewhere else. And Tai said, you know what? The Sangha is not perfect. And there is beauty to it. Because we can continue to learn from each other. We can mm. grow with each other. We have suffering. We have difficulties. We look at it. We learn from it. We evolve from it Mm -hmm. and that is really important because that is also the renewing and the Mm. freshness of buddhism which is all of us are a part of and i think this is this is um, part of the core rising and when we when we look at ourselves in a relationship or in um an environment in business in work you know I'm looking for a career. I want the best of the best. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's no perfectness. And that's my own understanding. But when you look at the path, it's like if there is challenges, it can be ingredients for your own growth. Mm. And this insight has really helped me overcome a lot of my own obstacles. And times I can recognize my judgmental mind. It's like, oh, this is not a perfect sangha. I should look for somewhere who is better. And, you know, through these last... um few weeks of uh, Thay's transformation, I've had some regret, you know, some regret moments because even when I was living with Thay, 
I had moments of thinking of leaving. <laughs> but that is how human we are. Yes. And to accept that and to now I learn from that. And that's why I don't want to take for granted more of these moments I have mm. with my community, with my beloved, with Joe, with Christiana, with Brother Nim Tung, with a lovely Clay who edits this podcast, you know, because all of these moments are gifts. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, that's one of the teachings that Tai has offered because that is also permanent and impermanence, mm. that they go hand in hand. You don't need to wait into the impermanence to, to regret. I, I I would like to now ask a question because I think is I want to hear from both of you what was the moment when you felt Tai was my spiritual teacher? What was it? Was it his present? Was it a teaching? Or what was that feeling? Because I think it's very interesting because I, I grew up in a Buddhist background and I grew up with Buddhism in my heart. And in my blood, in my bone, and in my culture. But I think for both of you who come from different culture, different religion, um, upbringing. And I think, Christiana, when you share that, it's like, I just need Buddhism. That's, Tai always says that every one of us has a spiritual dimension. One day it's going to be knocking on a door saying, are you nourishing your spiritual dimension? I, I, I want to explore that a little bit with both of you. You go first, Joe. So I, when, when I was young, I had this idea that if I was, um, that if I resolved all my problems, you know, that I, I, then I would never have to deal with them again. You know, it's like, it's like, I understand this problem, I resolve this problem, and I'm free. And what I learned as I was growing up was that, um, as I was growing older, was that actually we, we carry our wounds with us. They are part of who we are. They are what makes us a whole person. It's very similar to what you're saying. You know, it, it is our wounds that that make us whole, in a in a paradoxical sense. And I think with Thich Nhat Hanh, it was the recognition that I could be myself, and that I could come home to myself, and that and that I had been away from myself for all my life. That actually I wasn't. That I was. So much of my life I was trying to be someone else or trying to fit in or trying to win praise or trying to be this or trying to be that, trying to be successful, trying to please this person, trying to avoid the suffering from that person. And and all of that summed up meant that I was never at home. If you came and rang on my doorbell, I would not be there. And um, And I think Ty's teachings are... And I hear this from so many people who come to Plum Village. They say, I feel like I'm coming home. And and Ty's calligraphy, I, I have arrived, I am home, for me, sums that up. When, I mean, it's, it's partly what Christiane was saying, you know, when, when I feel at home, when I feel my own presence, when I'm aware of my own wounds, then I can have a very beautiful relationship with other people. And that people, you know, what Tai taught me was about that he offers refuge to people. 
that people can come and feel safe in his presence. And and for me, it's all that's what it's come all down to. And Christiana, we were discussing that this morning. It's it's we're we're so locked into a society which is about doing, and that that we define ourselves through our doing. And 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 it makes sense because you know I I can show you my degree and I can show you my LinkedIn profile showing I've done this and I went to this and I succeeded in that, and um, and so doing has in a sense become all pervasive, and is how we are all judged. But actually, what's much more important to me is being mm. my presence. That when someone when I speak to someone, do they feel safe with me? Can they be vulnerable with me? If they share a deep suffering, am I able to be present for them in that suffering? Have I been able to touch my own suffering in a way that I don't feel scared by someone else's suffering? We see so many people that you share something and people try to close down the conversation because mm. it resonates with their own pain. Yeah. And and I think Ty just brought that about in such a gentle way. When I, I think in my early years of self-development, they were, and, and I, it's not the right word, but I'll use it because it was in my mind, it was quite violent. Mm. In a sense, I felt I had to wrestle with my, uh, all my sufferings, with my history, with all my problems. It, it was like a, you know, a fight to the, you know, it was like a fight. I had to overcome them. I had to sort of, yeah, wrestle is the right word. Um, with Ty, it was about, I can be friends with my past. I can be friends with my suffering. I can make peace with it. I can honour it. I can um, see the sacredness in everything. Um, Joe, did you come from a spiritually oriented family? No, um, no. Um, I think in my in my history, in my ancestors, there were rabbis, mm. but my father um, had lost faith mm. um, due to all the suffering he'd um, gone through in mm. sort of in the war and everything, and 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 that even though he was he was very spiritual in some ways, the way he used to write to me was very he he had a deep understanding. But it wasn't. Um, it wasn't in no sense religious. Mm. But but he did have a a very a, a sense of life's pain and and how you work with it. Mm. Mm. But uh, but I think what's been what Ty helped me to do was restore my faith mm. in in life. Um, and you know, you talked about victim perpetrator. You know, I come from a family of. Um, you know, my, my mum lost all her family in the Holocaust. My father was forced out of um, out of his home country, and so and so there was a lot of persecution. And it's very easy, as you say, to become the victim mm. and to close down. And so I think, in some ways, my life has been about when I was young, feeling very much a victim, very mm. much um, that uh, I was at risk. You know, and, and my family very close, you know, that, that they'll come and get you type of, even though that wasn't ever spoken, there was mm -hmm. that sort of fear mm -hmm. which they'd gone through. And the habit energy. Yeah. And I and I think I think what Ty has helped me to do is restore my faith mm. in life and restore that I can be who I am and I'm not going to be 
carted away one mm. day. Mm. And how about you, Christina? Well, I I do come from a um, religious family, actually. Um, I come from Costa Rica, as you know, and um, Catholicism is the official religion in Costa Rica, and none of my family are Catholic. My father, um, who was president, loved, and as president, you have to go to some Catholic masses. And he loved to go, not because he believed in it, but because he would always say, it's perfect. Nobody's asking me any questions. Nobody's approaching me. I can sit there and I can think. And so that's why he loved going to Catholic masses. Um, And my mother was not Catholic. She was from a religion called Christian science. Her parents were Christian scientists. And we were brought up by my mother in that religion, all of us. And I was a practicing Christian scientist until I was 16. And a pretty strong practicing Christian scientist. And then I left when I was 16 because I could no longer accept, I wonder what the verb is, yeah, accept, that in Christian science there is a beautiful, profound recognition of everything that is love, truth, life, all the positives. But there is a fundamental denial, and that's my word, Christian scientists would never use the word denial, denial of anything that is on the negative ledger. And um, my grandfather, who was very important in my life, and I have huge respect for the way that he practiced his religion. But for me, I just I just found that so difficult to divide the world into good and bad. And the good will attract me and I shall practice the good and the bad is literally non-existent and it shall have no hold on me. And I just couldn't do that. I thought like, okay, I'm not a good Christian scientist because I can't, I can't do that. I can't divide the world. And so I thought I moved away from, from the religion and I thought, okay, well then I won't be able to have any spirituality in my life if that's the only option that I have. Until I met Ty and I went, oh my gosh, okay. So these are actually two sides of the of the cool. same piece of paper, mm. right? There is no division between the two. And in fact, they actually feed each other and they strengthen each other and you learn from the relationship with each other. And um, as you have just explained, between um, suffering and happiness, and that was such a huge aha moment, you know? Here in Plymouth, we talk about happy moments and vulnerable moments, and what else do we talk about? Legendary, legendary, moments. legendary <laughs> moments. Today we had a delicious moment of our wonderful lunch. Thank you, Joe, again. Um, but that was such an aha moment for me. And it wasn't just a moment. It was like several months that it took me to go, wow, this is a completely different, fresh approach to the reality that we experience. Because the fact is, we do experience both good and bad. We do experience joy and suffering. We do experience pain and, what is non-pain? I don't know. Health, let's say. (laughs) Non-pain. Non-pain. And they are, you know, they're so much part of the same... Um, of the same thing. And so for me to, you know, to, to begin to get into understanding that, 
you know, that the tea is made out of non-tea elements um, that are part of the tea. To just use one of his analogies and to begin to wrap myself around that in a way, now it makes sense. It was such a huge I mean, yes, it was a a spiritual awakening, but it was also a cognitive awakening for me because I had separated these things, you know, into completely different universes and bringing them together and understanding the very intimate relationship between the two was such a relief and such a fertile ground for me to be able to derive just many, many, many different lessons from that. Um, I forgot what the question was. About, you asked, well, well, where did we come from? Did we no, have a spiritual... Well, the question was... Well, did I, I answer the I don't know what the question was. <laughs> there was you, you did answer, but did maybe answer. just to, if you want to check if you have answered, it was, when was that moment when you, when you also, when you felt Taiyu became your spiritual teacher? Well... All of these concepts, right, I was learning throughout the months that I was visiting EAIB, as we call it, the European Institute of Applied Buddhism in Valparaiso. But then in the summer of 2014, Tai came to Valparaiso. And the listeners uh, will just take a moment to uh, breathe with Christiana. It's an emotional moment. I remember sitting in the um, meditation hall in Valpreul and everyone, of course, was in deep silence. And I remember seeing Tai walk in and I, I just thought, that's it. That is it. His presence, his aura. It, it wasn't a, a physical body walking in. It was a wave of love. Just spreading itself. Throughout the hall. I have just never, never been in such a sacred moment. And, well, as as you all well know, he walked very slowly. And I was, I remember being so grateful that he was walking slowly because it gave me enough time to take this in. I was just so impacted. And so by the time he got up to the front of the meditation hall, because he came from the back and walked all the way to the front, and by the time he got to the meditation, um, to the top of the meditation hall and sat on his cushions so mindfully behind the table with his little tea, I, 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 had, I had said, that's it, this this." is what is going to accompany me the rest of my life. And Christiana, what what is the essence of what the emotion you're feeling as you describe that? What does it touch in you? 
unconditional love. Mm. That is what Thai is. Thai can see that in each of us. It doesn't matter what our walk of life is. It doesn't matter what we have done or not done. It doesn't matter, you know. It, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. There is just such complete, infinite, unconditional love for everyone. I mean, it's just. It's a little bit difficult to even wrap your head around that capacity to to love in that way and to just be so accepting in that way. Yeah, because, well, most of us have this judgment, right? We, we antecede our love with a judgment and you have to walk through all of these layers of judgment either your own or somebody else's or whatever, in order to get to love. And Thai doesn't do that. Thai is right there. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a story, and maybe you know Christiana, but after you being in touch with Plum Village and Thai uh, through EIB, um, you wrote Thai a letter, an email or a letter, and you shared who you were and you consider yourself as his student. And Thai received this, uh, this letter and... Uh, He called one of the sisters in, which now is your dear friend, Sister True Dedication. And he said, please support this person. She is one of, she's going to be one of my continuation. And I know um, during the Paris Agreement in, in 2015, a delegation of Plum Village came. And that was... A mission that our teacher um, gave to a, a small group, and you know, Sister True Dedication shared to us like we didn't know what we we're gonna do, how we we're gonna support, but we just felt just our presence maybe can just be a comfort for Christiana, mm-hmm. and that was because we know Tai is uh, can't be everywhere, but he was already practicing to see him in every one of us. Yeah. And from him to send a delegation, say, I want you as my students, as my continuation, to go and support Christiana at this moment. You know, and and and, and that, I, I just want to say, like, Tai has a lot of trust mm. in, in all of us. You know, Tai has a lot of trust in um, in his, uh, his lay students also. And I think this is very important. I can say this because I know in the podcast, um, I, I had the chance to share a lot about um, the relationship I had with Tai and how mm. much um, his impact um, to us is and how he wants us to continue him. But I, I just want to share like Tai's trust to also the fourfold, which is the lay friends who are not monastic. He sees him in each and every one of you. And Joe, you have also this beautiful connection to Tai and this to be close to um, interviewing him. And he he's always said, journalists should water good seeds in people also, not to just share <laughs> news that are, are are heavy and strong and destructive, right? So I, I, I just felt as, as we are continuing to honor Tai's legacy, just to point this out, because it's, it brings up this moment of what we all have been sharing in the last few weeks. It's like, what's next for all of yeah, us? Yeah, what's next? 
So a perfect segue, brother, and mm. thank you for that, because what we've been talking about is we've been talking about a lot about presence. Yeah. And now, Brother Fapu, you're a very youthful soul. I think yeah. you're, you're 33, aren't you? Yeah. 33. So 34. 34. Yes. Maybe. 33, 34. A youthful, old, wise soul. Oh, <laughs> yes. But, but um, in, in age, you're still a mere youngster. Where's Christiane? I am 60. And Christiane, am I allowed to say hold you? I'm 65. And Christiane is 65. And um, one of the things we've been talking about, Christiane, and I hope, we'll continue to talk more about is about this movement to to next stage of life which mm. is that you know we're like the four four seasons that we are in sort of maybe the autumn of our lives where where we've been doing a lot you've been doing a lot i've been doing a lot in my own field and we're coming to the stage in life where we want to be more and and you know i was saying to you i'm i feel that one part of me is still in the past where I was very busy, very active, but also very stressed, very always doing and wanting to move into a place where I'm still contributing, but I'm contributing my being in terms of the spaciousness. You know, so many people are so busy. So if I can offer people, if I can be spacious in myself, then when I'm with people, I'm working with people, coaching or whatever, I can be spacious with them. It's it's much more intangible. It's not something, as I said, you can point mm. to. So I'm just wondering for you, as we contemplate, you know, ties passing and, and how what it is to step up, what it is to make a different type of contribution, what it is about this time of life that may be different from earlier. What, what's uh, going on in for you? What are your thoughts? Well, I think Fapu has that much clearer than I do. So I think he should go first. <laughs> okay, I'll start first. Because he actually already shared a little bit of that. Um, I think one of the amazing thing that we didn't know, but Tai was already training us to be a community without Tai through our, our time with him in the last 20 years. And I can share this on on my own experience because through through all of the retreats and meaning all of these meetings, how do we organize, how do we make right decisions, Tai started to empower the bhikshu and bhikshuni order, which is the fully ordained monks and nuns. And in Buddhist um, tradition in a monastery, the core community is the bhikshu on the monk side and the bhikshuni on the nun side. And it's very it's very easy to to just have one leader and and follow the boss and i think a lot of society is is set up in that way in it's an easier route i would say but tai had this vision and he i think was already thinking about us was that he knows impermanence and he knows we are of the nature to die and tai know that one day he's not going to be here so through the years he was already training us to see that the community is Thai. And Thai has shared, even if you take a cell, a DNA from Thai, and you um, clone, him. clone him, that won't be Teknyakan. Because that clone wouldn't have suffered the mm. suffering that Thai suffered. Mm. He wouldn't have gone through the wars. He wouldn't have been exiled. He wouldn't have to strive to find 
I have arrived. I'm home. That deep insight, the blossoming of his um, understanding of suffering, of love, of non-discrimination, of man is not our enemy. So you cannot have another technician, but Tai has transmitted his gems to all of us. And each and every one of us is going to be a different leader in our own life. We are, we are a father, a mother, a couple, a brother, a sister. We all have a role in our relationship. That is a leadership. We have the capacity to take care of our own suffering and contribute and cultivate happiness and love. That is. That is a continuation. That is a step up, because before you know, I think we talked about this. It's like, um, yeah, Tai is here. We can suffer a little bit. It's okay because somebody else is gonna shine their mindfulness, and we can just ride on it. But this is the moment when we realize now, if we want to be in touch with Tai, you cannot just grasp that outside of us anymore. You mm-hmm. have to go inwards. And you have to activate that. And the coolest thing about Tai is he gave us all the activation codes: mindful breathing, mindful steps, coming back to Mother Earth, being in the present moment, learning to be, learning to embrace, learning to accept, learning to let go, learning to see the the lotus in the mud. Even though we are in mud more. Because if we just allow ourselves to drown, we will never have the patience for that lotus to bloom. And if we want to see um, history, just look at Tai. He didn't allow himself to be exiled, to drown in despair and drown in mm-hmm. suffering. He was patient. He embraced. He cultivated. He contemplated, and he grew into that. So, in a way, this step up moment is really. Channeling the insight that Tai has offered us and making it a part of our journey. Even for myself, like there was a lot of times as I, I speak about Tai's legacy, and I like I want to continue Tai's legacy, but I don't think Tai wants us to just be in his shadow all the time, because Tai has transmitted to us. The Buddha has told us we have to come and see for ourselves and experience it for ourselves because that wisdom has to come from inwards, mm-hmm. or else we're just still copying and pasting everywhere. And one day we're gonna still feel very empty because we haven't yet done the inner work. And what is beautiful about also Tai's legacy, which he has told us, is that, and we don't have to do it alone. Mm. And that's very important. Tai said that one of the most beautiful quality of a community is siblinghood, brotherhood, sisterhood, siblinghood. That we learn to see each other as one body, because in that insight, even though you you are not um, capable of doing everything, but someone else is there to support that aspect. Just like. All the cells recognizing their their best, and they can offer that, and the body will always be healthy. But if there are so many different complexes, and everybody's trying to fight for a position, everybody's trying to be the next leader, then we will, in my in my own understanding, we will break the community. We will break Tai's legacy. Uh, 
And I truly see that um, our step up is is nothing so far away, but is really doing what Thai taught us. There were so many moments I caught myself in difficult situation. And I'm like, what to do? I'm like, oh yeah, we have beginning anew. And it's almost sometimes like the the, the gem, the gems that Thai gave us. We received it, but we are next to him, and we have been um, transmitted these wisdom. And we see it's not for us; it's for us to transmit to other people. Mm. But actually, that step up moment is now embodying that that teaching, embodying those insight that Thai has given to us, and make it manifest in our own lives. And that's how we will continue this path. We will continue Thai's legacy, and we will bring him forward, or else. One day we're just only going to talk about his legacy, and one day we're gonna, it's going to be on a on an altar pedestal, and then a yeah. pedestal. And I think this is what has has I've been contemplating and I've been reflecting like, what does it mean? And for me, it means that we don't need to put Tai on a pedestal. Of course, we love and we respect Tai and we honor him, but what he would want from us is his insight to continue in us. And I think that's really important, mm. brother. Thank you. Um, I know I'll go back and listen to that bit again because <laughs> you you put it so beautifully and profoundly. So thank you, Christiana. Well, it's very difficult to speak after that. I have to do it every week. <laughs> <laughs> but this was particularly. It was particularly. I I agree. That's what I'm saying. Yes. We're, we're, we'll we'll cut that out and just. Type it up. Put on replay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the analogy to that, Prabhu, is um, I have been in a situation several times where I need to step up to the podium and speak after John Kerry. And John Kerry is about three meters taller than I am. And so the microphone is always way, way, way up here, right? So I almost have to ask for a ladder to pull the microphone down to my small little body. That's what I feel like right now. I feel like, oh boy, this is going to be very difficult to speak after. <laughs> you, <laughs> well, asked, you, you asked, you it asked first. me to speak first. <laughs> I know, that was a mistake. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> that was a mistake. It was, um, thank you. So I, I'm really grateful for the clarity that you have on that. Um, and it's a clarity that I am still working toward because it was very clear to me almost a few minutes after um, receiving the news that this was going to be a step-up moment. And I've been thinking about this actually for maybe a year or two. What What is my next role after having done what, what I've done with the help of so many people. And now what is, what is the next role for me? I know for sure what it is not. Mm. I know that it is no longer to be in the operational part of climate protection or environmental protection for a very simple reason that I am 65 and there are so many young people who are coming into the space who have so much better knowledge, so many more skills, so many, you know, are aware of so much more technology than I am. And so I am so eager, in fact, have already 
turn the baton over to many of them because there's so many of them that are just absolutely brilliant. Um, and frankly, many of them speak about the issues that I thought I understood in ways in which I no longer understand because they're way ahead of me already. And so I'm truly grateful for that. So I no longer need to or should be in the operational part of this. So I'm grateful for that, and it's a huge relief. But then what? And so for me, what is becoming clear, and I warn you, that's part of the reason why I'm still here, mm -hmm. and you haven't gotten rid of me yet. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be here still for a few weeks, is to have more clarity on how can I strengthen the arc between the spiritual understanding that we have and the understanding that it is, that transformation starts with the being and then the doing comes later and not the other way around. How do I strengthen the art between that understanding and what I would responsibly call the outer world? How do I strengthen the art between the inner world and the outer world first for me And then how do I take that strengthened bridge and offer it to others? In particular, at a time in which, as you all well know, we have millions of young people who are drowning in despair and who can't see above their doomism and who truly, truly do believe that their die is cast and that they have no future. And I don't believe that to be true, but I do understand that it is true for them currently. And they're deeply in that pain, deeply in that suffering. And, and that was not so five years ago. That is a pretty recent phenomenon that we have reached both the depth of that pain and the numbers of those who are experiencing that pain. And so it seems to me that my next chapter is to help with that. And I'm not sure how that's going to look, or I, I, I'm not sure. I'm just totally not sure how that, how to take that into, yeah, into operation, if you will, or how, how to exercise that. But I do know that that is what I would like to do. I also know that um, it's sorely needed and that I can let go of the other pieces because they're much better, much more capable, much more prepared people to be doing that other than myself. So um, that means that I'm here with a big question. So any pearls of wisdom from your side would yes. be very welcome. Okay. Brother, before you... Give us the answer. So <laughs> <laughs> this wonderful. We're not leaving this room until we have the we answer. We have the answer. But um, I'm feeling, I'm seeing that increasingly. Um, uh, so I was on a call with a number of climate leaders last week. Mm. Um, and one of the leading scientists in the climate movement said, you know, I don't get it. You know, we know so much. We know what the issues are. We know the data. We know the forecasts are accurate. We know we're heading for disaster and people aren't acting, you know, why, why is that? Mm. Because that, that I think is one of the essential questions 
of our time and leading partly, in part, I imagine, to this despair. That if we know all this and we're not acting, that is almost the, the very um, meaning of madness. And then the discussion amongst everyone else was that we need to bring in the spiritual dimension. But people don't know how. Mm. Because especially when you're dealing with the established system, you normally have to speak their language and you normally have, to, and normally they're the ones who fund any projects with which you want to change it. And, and it's just very, and people find it very hard because they, they recognize we, we are almost on the cusp of this potential mm-hmm, mm-hmm. transformation where the people five, 10 years ago who would never have talked about an inner dimension and certainly wouldn't have talked about it in a work type conversation. So clearly we're coming to a potential transformation, but we're hitting this real roadblock, mm. which is that it's, we're so well trained in the doing and seeing the effects of the doing. I've got this project. This is, this is my spreadsheet. This is what I'm going to do. I've done this. This is going to lead to this change. I've done that. That the being is so hard for people to sometimes even talk about. Well, for us, yeah, it's not like it's easy for us to talk about. Yeah. We struggle for the words. And, and, and not only is it to talk about, but then to put into to action. To put it into action, yes. <laughs> in, in a world that for so long has denied it as a yeah. as anything meaningful. Mm-hmm. So brother, <laughs> we're at your feet. <laughs> you know um, what mm. because we need to make this you know we're we're at the point of the edge of a precipice and we need to l- build a bridge to the other side. Yeah. And I think we're all struggling. We're we're getting close to the edge and the closer we get to the edge the more we fear and panic and we know there isn't there is something on the other side but but we haven't really built even a rope bridge across Mm. yes the spiritual dimension that we've been we've been uh, touching on in this episode is very key because when the spiritual dimension it doesn't just mean religion it doesn't mean i need to believe in the, a god i need to believe in the buddha i need to believe in a particular person a spiritual dimension is allowing us to touch interbeing mm-hmm. this is very important and i believe the reason why there's not even as if we have all the information but we're not bringing people to the suffering then we're not going to change. We're not going to change our consciousness. We're not going to change our way of thinking. Just we live. We live in um, France, where it's very beautiful. We are experiencing some um, some weather changes and so and so. But it's not that bad. And 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 I can still buy whatever I want. I can still have enough food. I can still have water. But the science is saying. But if we don't take care of it. You're not going to have all this. And some people don't already. And and in different parts of the planet, there mm-hmm. are people who yeah. are really suffering. But because I don't have a spiritual dimension to touch and to understand the interbeing aspect is that. Mm. And this is why I won't change because I just care about me. Exactly. And this is where a spiritual dimension is bringing people to the heart of suffering and happiness how these two go hand in hand, how the environment and us is not separated. If Mother Earth suffer, we will suffer. 
And the Mother Earth is suffering, but a lot of us, we are ignoring it. We are denying it. We are closing our one eye to it, or we just want to peek a little bit. And we can say, oh, that's not my problem, though. I'll, I'll leave that to Christiana Figueres, or I'll leave that to scientists. But what we have learned and what our teacher has emphasized so much on is community. Because nature is community. Nature support each other by, by the whole cosmos. All of these organisms come together and that's how it has outlast all of us. But us, we have such egos that we feel we are better. We are more powerful. We, we are alphas. And we forget that actually we are so young. We are, we are babies to this planet. And Mother Earth has transformed many times. When we talk about protecting Mother Earth, and Christiana, I read this from your um, articles and from your sharings, it's worth protecting ourselves. Mother Earth knows how to take care of herself. And this is very important because once again, we, we are dividing. We are, mm-hmm. I am me and the Earth is the Earth. Nature mm-hmm. is nature. You see, and the spiritual dimension is that bridge. It's where we can connect to seeing us as Mother mm-hmm. Earth, seeing us as the suffering, seeing us as the person cutting the trees, seeing us as the oil being spilled into the ocean. We are the fish that is suffering. We are the birds that are drowning in these oils. We are the animals that are being burnt and have no home. Most of us, we don't even have time to contemplate that or our attention is to entertainment, to things that just excites us and cover up our suffering because also looking at our situation can be quite overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And that's why we want to push it away, ignore it and say, oh, maybe I'll leave that to the future generation. And once again, that is not into being because who is the future generation? It's your children, your descendants, your friends. They are you also. So that is an element that our teacher has been trying to teach throughout his whole life. And he entrusts that to all of us as his continuation to continue to spread that insight and to also do it in a way that we have to be very skillful. And this skillfulness, we have to learn in every situation, we can communicate, we can express, we can let people experience it through different Dhamma doors, through different ways. And I think that's going to be very crucial for us as his descendant, as his continuation, because when we suffer, Thais still suffer. That's how I see it. And that's also a feel for me to to awaken more of my own understanding and to grow more. Um I want to answer a little bit of Christiana's um, question. Because oh, good. You're going to tell me what to do. Well, this, uh, is, this is fantastic. This is ding, your ding, contract ding, ding. sign here. Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> Invite the bell. Something very exciting. You know, because what you just shared <laughs> also manifested in our community as Thai student. Has, so we had many different generations come in through the years of um, Thai's monastic student when Thay realized that there was a generation that were elders and they were continuing to be um, they were continuing to to do all the operational work the administration work 
And then there's this whole new young energy coming in. And I think Thai had to grow in this aspect of being a teacher. It's like, what do I do so that these young ones don't feel like they're at the hands of just the elders and they're not a part of this movement. They're not a part of this change. They're not a part of this growth. And so there was one year Thai created this new image paradigm. You can say the elders, now your role is not to do the operational work. You become a pillar of refuge because you have a lot of experience. And it, it, it doesn't mean you just sit back and drink tea all day. No, no. Your presence by showing up is a contribution. When you come to the meetings, you don't have to give all the inputs. You can listen and from time to time, let the young ones share, hear from them, and you can give your insight because you have more experience. But by listening, the young ones feel they are being heard. And that's so crucial. And that's my own experience when I, and for the young ones, it's inviting us to learn to share, to learn to express. It sounds easier than done because we have so much complexes. Uh, like, will they listen to me? Will they understand my deepest? And am I able to express? So Tai Tai gave it the role of having virtue as as a guidance, mm -hmm. your presence from your experience as a refuge. And when I suffer, because you're not too busy anymore, I'm doing the organization, you can have time for me. You can listen to me. You can offer me insight. You can offer me your experience. So it's that image of continuing to now hold your light, hold the fire, nourish it, cook it more, let the flame grow bigger. And then when the young ones, when their flame is um, a little bit low, they can come and and get more fuel from you. Mm -hmm. And this was a very big shift in our community because suddenly my generation, I was only around um, seven years, not so young, but not so old, but we were put into a position where Thai was and the community now you help run the retreat. And the elders will now give the Dhamma, the, the orientation. Thai was still there, so we still listen to Thai's Dhamma talk, but um, they would do more consultation. They would do more of the leading of the, the Dhamma. And their role was now as a guide. Mm. And that, I think, also transformed something in them because then they started to realize that I have to practice because people are gonna really take refuge in me. And if I don't practice, my words will have no weight. And I think with um, us who are experienced and who have age, there's wisdom to that. There is depth to that. And a lot of us, we just wanna sit with you and drink tea. And we just want to sit there and hear your stories and share our experience and maybe share our questions and get some we call it shining light. And Thai says that also keeps the elder connected to the young. And this was what Thai always did. So from time to time, Thai would invite us um, for a meal and Thai would say, what's new, Kong? What's, what's happening, you know? And it's very spontaneous. And sometimes and sometimes now that I remember, I was like, I would say the most randomest thing and 
it's now there's no depth to it. But Tyler's like, oh, really? That's your suffering? And it may for Tyler's like, wow, that's your suffering? That's, you shouldn't, that shouldn't even be a suffering. But that is Tyler's connection. And so, so the youth and the elders don't feel apart. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's really, really, really an art to it. Mm-hmm. It's an art of community. And it's an art of always having a bridge and knowing each other's role. And I think that that element really can help you not burn out because you see you have a continuation. And I think that's what you want, Christiana. And that's what you want, Joe. And that's, you know, when you are, all this experience, you're mature. You want to express, you want to share, you want to give, and you want a continuation. And that is also a legacy of Thai. I I know, thank you for listening to me and giving me this space to share. But there's so many times I've come to both of you and I've shared I would like to look deeper together. And that's because I see you have space for me. And, and, and I feel I can take refuge in you. And sometimes, honestly, you don't need to say anything. I can just be there in your embrace and I feel recharged. And that comes from presence though. And that's why the practice of learning to be it's not a. Mm-hmm. It's not simple. When you are really there, you look at someone, you listen to them. You're giving them your trust. You're giving them your presence. You're giving them your energy, and that's very recharging. And I think a lot of the young folks, um, they have a lot of aspiration. They have a lot of energy, but their experience may be lacking. Sometimes they may be unskillful in words. Maybe unskillful in presentation but if the elders can say no speak but it's okay maybe next time just share it from this direction be a little bit more compassion Um, maybe have a better posture in your sharing and this was my training when I was a work coordinator I used to fidget a lot I get nervous and my body used to move back and forth and one day a venerable in Deer Park who I'm forever grateful for he just put his hand on my shoulder and he's like, just be still, my younger brother. And that changed my presence. And that was just an action and two words. Just be still, my younger brother. Mm. A two sentence. And that is virtue. And he was experienced and he saw, that's all I need. And that was a transmission. So how can you mm. as elders see ways of transmitting now? I th- and through the transmission, you will still be doing. That's the amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I saw in Tai, even though Tai was still guiding us. But by guiding us, he is doing the future because we are going to carry him to the future. And both of you, I have to say, you have a lot of fire. And I want, I want you to be able to continue to contribute that fire to all of us who, who are young, who are um, aspiring, who want to have a change in our personal life and in the collective um, world, collective environment, for us to feel empowered, to feel also supported. And that's where we will carry all of you into the future. And that's why I feel roots are so important because for me, roots are connection. 
So that's what I would like to offer. Well, that told us. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Fepu. So, um, you know, these are this is good food well, wait, to chew just, over. Yeah, just breathe a little bit because we've just received yeah. an unbelievable yeah. transmission. No, I got it. Yeah. Um, Christiana, any final thoughts before we uh, wrap up? Wrap up. Um, no thoughts. Um, just gratitude. Gratitude for being here again. I missed coming for so many years. So thank you very much for your embrace here. Um, gratitude for the time that I've spent here for such rich conversations with so many brothers and sisters here. And thank you for having me on your podcast. Quite um, quite a different experience than our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and a very beautiful one. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, this, it's a, such a rich conversation because actually these are the deep aspirations how mm. we we have a and so many of our listeners will have this wish to create change wish mm. to to have to to make the world a happy and better place and um so i hope that you know christiana you and i are we're not struggling with it but we're asking deep questions and looking for paths forward and so i hope that um that this is helpful to other people who are also trying to find their path, trying to understand their connection to the world and how they can make an impact without it impacting negatively of themselves, mm -hmm. how they can act in freedom and with peace um, and with great meaning. Brother Fap Who. So um, we like to end as... All our regular listeners will know we like to finish with Brother Fapu giving us a meditation to bring us back to the present moment, to resettle ourselves after a lots of words, but to use words to um, come back to ourselves. So Brother Fapu. So listeners, hello friends, wherever you may be, if you are going for a walk, going for a jog, or you're working at home, cleaning your house, doing gardening, or you're on a commute, if you just allow yourself to be still, be seated or standing or even laying down and allow me to guide you in a few mindful breaths. So let us become aware of our in-breath and just identify this is my in-breath. And as I breathe out, I identify that this is my out-breath. In and out. 
You can feel the in-breath coming in your nostril, filling up your lungs, your abdomen, your whole body, breathing out. You release, relax your breath. Identifying in-breath, identifying out-breath. And as I breathe in, I follow my in-breath from the beginning to the end. And as I breathe out, I take refuge in my out-breath from the beginning to the end. I am uniting myself with the miracle of the in-breath. And I am one with the miracle of the out-breath. In. Out. And as I breathe in, I become in touch with the trees the birds, the sunshine, the clouds, everything that is supporting me. Breathing out, I have gratitude. In, I am in touch with the nature element that supports me. Breathing out, I am grateful. Breathing in, I'm in touch with my teacher who has offered me teachings on how to love and understand. Breathing out, I am grateful. In, teacher who has offered me love and understanding. Out, I am grateful. Mindful of my in-breath, I aspire to continue my teacher. Mindful of my out-breath, my teacher is smiling to me. In continuing my teacher, out, my teacher is smiling. Breathing in, I feel alive. Breathing out, 
I'm so grateful to life inside of me and all around me. In touch with this stillness, this spiritual home of presence, I nourish and I cultivate. In, I am a continuation. Out, I bring you in the here and now and to the future. There is no separation. Breathing in, in breath. Breathing out, out breath. So simple, but it is the key to the here and now. Thank you, friends, for joining us on this podcast. And thank you for breathing mindfully with all of us here. Dear listeners, thank you for joining us on this episode. If you've enjoyed it, there are many more. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on other platforms that carry podcasts, and also on our very own Plum Village app. And this podcast was brought to you by the generous donors of the Tignikhan Foundation. If you would like to support future episodes of the podcast and the work of the international Plum Village community, please visit www.tnhf.org/donate. Thank you very much, and see you next time. So there you go. Another episode of The Way Out is in. I'm Clay, producer of Outrage and Optimism and producer of The Way Out is in. So it is my utmost privilege to present this episode of The Way Out is in to you. Thank you for listening. So if I can say, this is a really fun moment for me. Um, Ever since I began working on The Way Out is in, I've been welcomed with open arms by every monk, nun, lay practitioner, or friend of Plum Village. And Every week when I sit down to edit the latest episode of The Way Out Is In, even though I'm all the way over here in Detroit, it's like I get to sit down right there with Brother Fapu and Joe in Thich Nhat Hanh's sitting still hut and experience the magic of Plum Village. And so I hope that that was your experience too. I'm sure you noticed the short nature breaks that I put in there to break up the podcast a bit. Those sounds were recorded right there in Lower and Upper Hamlet at the monastery in France. And it just kind of invites you to be present and 
think about what's being said and cultivate some peace. So a shout out to the production team for The Way Out is In, Kata, Anka, Martin, and of course, our beloved hosts, Brother Fapu and Joe Confino. New episodes of The Way Out is In come out every week, and I've included a few next episode recommendations for Outrage and Optimism listeners in the show notes. And that podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, so wherever you're listening right now. And also, like mentioned before, on the Plum Village app. So one thing I've learned about Plum Village over the last two years is that they are prolific in their production of content and community building and engagement. And so the Plum Village app is a world of wisdom, beautifully designed, if I may say so myself, and it's waiting for you on the app store. So link to download the Plum Village app is in the show notes. One of my favorite features of the app is that it has a mindfulness bell that you can tap and it will play out of your phone speaker or in your headphones, the sound of a bell at Plum Village. So my two-year-old son and I take turns tapping the bell and taking deep breaths together every night before bedtime. It's a fantastic app, please go check it out. And last thing, Plum Village just released a short documentary on the life of Thich Nhat Hanh titled A Cloud Never Dies. It's free on YouTube. And it's a great watch over the holiday weekend uh, as the world turns inward, as Christiana said earlier. Link to that in the show notes for you. Okay, the way out is in, everyone. And by the way, that's Thich Nhat Hanh saying the way out is in in the intro and outro music. And that music was actually written and recorded at Plum Village. And one more fast fact, because I don't think many people actually know this. Did you know that Martin Luther King Jr. nominated Thich Nhat Hanh in 1967 for the Nobel Peace Prize? Now you do. <laughs> Before I let you go, because, hey, this is a bit longer than we normally have you, we have updated all of our social media at Outrage and Optimism to reflect the name of our podcast. So over the next couple weeks, I'll be mentioning the change. For Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, it's now at Outrage Optimism. For Facebook and YouTube, you can look up Outrage and Optimism. And as always, if it ain't nowhere else, it's in the show notes. So please send us a message, give us a follow, and let's stay connected. All right, we did it. Thanks again to Plum Village. Thank you to The Way Out Is In. Fantastic to have them on the podcast this week. Go listen to more episodes of their podcast. Next week on Outrage and Optimism, we'll be talking about a revolutionary idea coming from the music scene in Australia, so you won't want to miss. All right, see you then.